0: I was listening to NPR this week, as I often do as I drive, and was listening to the story, one of the many stories that had come out about the shootings in New Zealand and the horrifying situation of that hatred on display. There was a reporter there, and he was talking about what it was like for him there. He said that he is an American journalist and working in, in Asia somewhere, and he went to cover the story in New Zealand and went to one of the mosques that had not been attacked in the, in that, in the situation. And he went and he said, I, I didn't know anybody there. I just knocked on the door. And, and he said, immediately a, a man came, and he was obviously part of the mosque, and he knew that I was a reporter, a, a reporter, an American reporter, by the way I talked, by the way that I looked, and he immediately said, without hesitation, come in, friend, have breakfast with us, let us talk. And I just, I I paused at that moment, and then, and then he continued his story and his remarkable story about this one man that he kept seeing over and over, and this one man who kept getting him into places and acting like, 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 He was his friend, immediately befriending him. And and as I was sitting driving, I was listening to the story, I thought to myself, I wonder if a Muslim came to many churches' doors, what we would do. And it feels like in the climate in America right now, many of us would not, and I'm talking about the big church, American church, many of our churches would not immediately say, come in, friend, let's have breakfast and talk. Then it went on to say that the story that in New Zealand, I don't know if you were aware, but they broadcast on one day on the day of the prayer and the week after the, the, the remembrance, they publicly broadcast around all the nation the morning prayers of Islam. And I thought, if we did that in America, there may be a war. And I'm not even kidding. There may be an uprising because so many of us as Americans would feel like that as a threat upon our faith, upon our way of life, upon our existence. I don't know that we as a people can openly embrace other people and other people's values without feeling some sense of, of, of threat. I, I, I was thinking about that and talking to a couple people this week and, and thinking, what if we truly valued each other? What if we truly valued each other's perspectives, even if we didn't agree with them? What if we could look past the agreement or disagreement and find, like, what is running that decision? What's at the heart of that? What value is deep within the core of what makes that person tick, that they're acting this way or or living out this way? As. I, I, w- I was thinking about those the, the, the like the, a lot of the country who would would feel and resonate with with a lot of what president Trump would say and i I might not resonate with that, but that doesn 't mean that I, i'm i 'm good or bad i, I but I, but I began to think like what 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 's the value deep down in that instead of calling each other names and and casting each other off and and, and, I, and I and i think back to where I was raised and, and kind of the situation where a lot of people couldn't afford or didn't have the opportunity or the privilege to go to a nice school, to an Ivy League college. And, and I thought there's a lot of people around us who feel like the, the liberal sort of, the liberal m- whatever message is, is sort of, a, of, a, of a, maybe a little bit arrogant, Maybe it looks down on people who didn't go to the top-notch schools and uses language that maybe is very specific. And maybe some people feel left out by some, the way that some other people talk or the way that some other people lead. And maybe this is a moment where people feel like, "Hey, hey, we have someone who's like us. Even though no politician is ever like us, that is that is what we resonate with, right? We're like somebody, and I begin to think, what, what is that? And I began, and I thought about back when when Obama became elected, and, and there was this this huge outcry, like, yay! So many people were celebrating, and so many people were just so upset. And that seems how it goes, isn't it? But like at the deepest value of of so many, when when we first saw an African-American man be elected president, the first ever non-white man to be elected that's in Americans' history, of like what a moment of celebration. What a moment for so many people who don't have pale white skin that live in America and call themselves American. What a moment of celebration that must have been that there's somebody like us in the White House. I wonder if we could get past the, the feeling of like, well, I'm on this side and I'm on this side to really look deep down and find what it is that, that the value that we have that is, is oftentimes hidden with layers and layers and layers of layers of, of, of social elements that we, that we think is the issue, but that's not really the issue, is it? I was thinking of all this this week as, as, as I was thinking about this text that we'll read here in a moment. And I, I came back to this quote that I want us to kind of frame today with. The quote is this. You cannot love your neighbor while supporting or accepting systems that crush, exploit, and dehumanize them. You cannot love your neighbor while supporting or accepting systems that crush, exploit, and dehumanize them. I, I, it's a popular saying right now, isn't it? Well, it's not just right now; it's always been. of 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 love your love love the sinner, hate the sin, and and I, this makes this makes me very uneasy. And I, because I don't think we can do that, I don't think we can. I don't think that's what we do, right? Um, we this is a this is a, a a jingle that we use probably to sort of remove ourselves from having to engage the situation. Because I think the truer statement would be love your neighbor and love the sinner, and partner with them to eliminate systematic threats to their flourishing. Like that would be a truer statement, right? Like if we're going to love somebody, if we're going to claim that we love somebody, then that would mean that we're going to partner with them to eliminate any threat to their flourishing or their existence. Because that's what love is. But we, but we throw in at the end where like hey, love, the, love the sinner, hate the sin. But like the problem is like we don't even know what sin is. We think we do, but we claim that that sin or that sin, and we claim, like, well, that's not sin. We're fine with that. But, like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> no, that is. <laughs> and that's just a sin that you like right over there. And you just don't like this over here. So you're like, well, I don't like Let's Let's stand against this. And, like, oftentimes we call people sinners, and there's no sin there. And lots of times there is sin present in somebody, and we're like, oh, they're cool. They're cool. I mean, it's, it's fine to, like, um, have a, uh, to be worth 50 billion dollars and to use your money on yourself like that's uh, success great that's american way that's not sinful i know it is actually and the bible clearly outlines it over and over and over again by like a thousand verses of like jesus jesus is jesus like you know what it's it's harder for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get into the heaven and into heaven and the disciples were like what then how like how how can this be and with god jesus is like well with god all things are possible. So it's possible that rich people can get into heaven. And they're like, what? This is crazy. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying to, like, I'm saying like we're, we're okay with people having immense wealth and using it on themselves. But then if somebody's lifestyle is a little bit different than ours, we're like, "Ooh, that, that's, an, uh, that's fine because I'd like to be that person one day. And so like, I fully endorse them. Great. So, like, we, we have a problem with this. Jesus tells us at one point about judgment, and he's like, oh, remember the story of the wheat and the tares? He's like, no, 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 no! Don't, 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 don't pick out the wheat and the weeds, just leave it to me, because y'all are going to mess it up if you try to do that now. So just leave it to me later, and don't worry about it. But we are like, we are, we are thirsty for judgment, aren't we? We are thirsty to separate each other like, well, you're in and you're out. Well, you're saved and you're not. Well, you're a sinner and you're not. Like, we have this craving inside of us. Like, we, like, we, we, we believe that God is, is wrathful. We can preach, churches can preach about, about God being wrathful and angry, and preachers can stand up on stage and on national television and tell national audience that these people are going to go to hell and these people are going to go to hell, and we don't bat an eye at it, do we? We're just like, oh, that's the gospel. Yeah, Okay. But if, but if somebody gets up and says, God is God of love and accepts everybody and includes everybody, oh, my goodness. <laughs> like society loses their mind. <laughs> What is that about? (laughs) Like, what is going on? Is it possible that we've created a God in our image that we want to serve, that is like us, like we want to be, the God of vengeance, the God of judgment, the God of wrath? But this is just a myth that we have built up layers and layers and layers upon as church But the Bible doesn't talk like this. Like there are a couple lines which we don't quite understand because it was written in a language so long ago in another culture. Another time that we take it now, but it doesn't mean that, like, the whole thrust of the Bible is about protecting each other. It's about creating a peaceful environment so that everybody can thrive. I mean, the Bible is not about God's wrath and God's judgment, the Bible is about God's inclusion, God's protection, God's mercy. God's saying, I will become in this, I will come to this situation in order to protect and bless and hold and love. I mean, we take, we take the Ten Commandments and in and, and Exodus 20, right? I mean, like the Bible is, is, is saying to us, it is saying this idea of, of yes, we're all sinners. We all have a mess up. We're all complicit in this mess of life. Love the sinner and partner with them to eliminate systematic threats to their flourishing. Because like it, straight out of the gate, which we talked about a little bit ago, the, the Ten Commandments, those, the, these Ten Commandments are about social protection. They're economic in nature, the Bible is, has so much to deal with economics because economics are that place where we either can protect one another or we can exploit one another. We have the choice. And so God's like, if you guys are going to set up a society, then you're going to set up a society that's going to protect each other and eliminate oppression. I mean, I mean, like, so many of them, like, remember the Sabbath. Sabbath is about giving people breaks. It's about making sure that you're not going to abuse people and use them up seven days a week like Pharaoh did. It's like when we read on your father and mother, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't, don't lie, don't covet. We read those as like moral statements, don't we? But in reality, we, if we just hold to those in our heart, then like that's not, what, that's not what they're about. The commandments are not about holding them in your heart. They're about having them in your heart, and then living them out in your everyday life so that you live and you create a society that is just and merciful and compassionate to one another. I mean, he goes, the, 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 the law goes on. I mean, talks about the jubilee year. says in Leviticus 25, the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. Throughout the land, the that you hold as a possession you must provide for the redemption of the land so what what god's talking about to them is like you you know like god understands things can get out of balance over time inequality and so every 50th year god's like nope we need to put the scales back so that so that we can't get into a situation where it's so far out of balance that we can't ever fix it again so God told the people, every 50th year, all, all debts are forgiven. If you lost your land, you get it back. I mean, that's an economic provision of protection so that it can, so the people are cared for, so that no one gets left behind. Another one that I love that we don't talk very much about, but it's in Deuteronomy, 18, in Deuteronomy 19. And God says, "...do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors in the inheritance you received in the land of the Lord your God that's given you to possess." So God's like, you can't move your boundary markers because if someone who gained a lot of power is your neighbor and someone who maybe is having a really hard time socially is your neighbor, that powerful person can't go out in the field and be like, oh yeah, we're going to move that boundary marker, kick it over there, yeah, and then, like, and then claim half your land. And they're like, oh, nope, I didn't do that. I don't know how that happened. I don't know. Yeah, That's my land. Mm-hmm, that's my land over there. Like, No. The, the law, the Bible, is set up to protect people, to protect the vulnerable. Like we, we've created this myth about God that God is angry and judgmental and wants to hurt us and wants to kill. No, 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 no no, no, no. God wants to protect us from ourselves, from each other, so that we can create a society of flourishing and peace and grace and life with one another. God wants to help us not fall into the trap of building up illusions, of building up myths, where we begin to see the world like that. But I think that's what we've done with the Bible in so many ways. That's what we've done. People, people say it to me a lot of times, they're like, you know, the Bible's hard and how, how do you get around it? And some, some, some friends that I have, and they're like, man, you should just like, you should just ditch the Bible and talk about love. I'm like, no, that, the Bible talks about love. That's what the whole thing is about. We just haven't properly understood it. We've, we haven't properly interpreted it in the lens of love and protection. We often interpret it in the lens of anger and wrath and judgment. And that's not how it's meant to be interpreted. But we've given ourselves to that. And that soil which we've planted ourselves in, that soil of wrath, that soil of hatred, that soil of in and out, you're saved and you're not, you're going to go to heaven and you're going to go This is a dualism which is, is toxic. It's not what Jesus is talking about. But we've planted ourselves in it, but it doesn't have any nutrients. That soil of dualism doesn't have any nutrients and so we're not bearing fruit in that soil that toxic soil and that brings us to our text today jesus here is on his way to jerusalem and he is saying here we go 13 through nine this is it i was i was not wrong now, there were some at that moment present, that time that Jesus told about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So here's what's going on here is there must have been an event where some people were worshiping and Pilate came and killed them and slaughtered them in sort of an ambush attack. Jesus answered, do you think that those, these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but it did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If it doesn't, then cut it down. This is the word of God for the people of God. This is a perplexing text here. It's like, what is Jesus talking about? What does this mean? I think here Jesus is talking about this myth of dualism, this myth of life, of like, well, because if you suffer, this, this is what we believe. This is what they believe, and this is what we believe oftentimes, isn't it? If you're successful, then that's God's, that's, that's the evidence of God's blessing on your life, right? And if you suffer, then that is evidence of God's judgment upon your life because you have done something wrong. What this does, lived out, is it makes us look to the successful as the model and God's blessing to uh, those that have material success. Those are the blessed and those that do not are are the cursed. Like they've done something wrong. They are bad and sinners. So what that does is still today, doesn't it? Look at our society. To the ones who've made it, we see them as fundamentally good valuable, beautiful, wanted, desired. We want to be like them. And to the, to the communities that haven't, who, who maybe are poor, living in poverty, under-resourced, we look at them as they've done something wrong. They're bad. We don't want to be like them. Stay away from them. They're scary. They could, they could infiltrate society. This is what we do as people, isn't it? This is what they did then and what we still do now. But Jesus here is saying, listen, like, that happened over there, and, and that, that doesn't, they weren't worse sinners because Pilate murdered them. They're, they're dead because Pilate murdered them. That's what happened because Pilate is brutal and his regime is about death and destruction. But you here, you're trying to make this into some divine revelation because they, something bad happened to them that they were worse sinners than everybody else. It's like saying, when a natural disaster hits a certain area, well, it's God's judgment. Like, they must have done something wrong. No, it was because the, the weather formed a certain way and it hit that place. That's why. There, there's no, we, we can't take any further evidence from like, were they good or bad? Did they do it? Were they righteous or unrighteous? Were they? But No, we can't. So Jesus here is countering this argument that was driving the, the Israelites in this day, who were driving the, the religiously elite. He said, do you think that because people, the tower fell on them, that they were worse, that that was God's judgment on them? No. And then he says this interesting thing. Repent, or you may become like them. Whoa. Whoa, that's weird. That's a weird statement, isn't it? To understand this, we have to understand the dynamics of everything that's going on in this moment in Jesus' life. Jesus is on the verge of going into Jerusalem, of facing the most powerful systems of oppression, religious oppression, and the systematic governmental oppression that there were in the day, both the temple and the Roman Empire. Jesus is on the doorstep to Jerusalem. We are in this season of Lent where we are celebrating this and, and sort of putting ourselves in it. Jesus is on the doorstep, on the threshold of of bringing life. But in order to bring life, he has to face the systems of death. And he's saying to the Jews in this moment, the way that you are thinking about God and your neighbors is all wrong. The way that you are thinking is such a way that you are saying some are in and some are out. Some are cursed and some are blessed. Some will thrive and some will not. And this is God's evidence of God's blessing and God's judgment upon everybody. And you think that God will be on your side when you go to battle. You think that, that you will win because God loves you. That way of thinking will get you killed, everybody. And Jesus is saying to them, you have to change this way of thinking because it is toxic and it will not lead to anywhere good. I remember I played lots of sports growing up in high school and almost always before every sporting event, match, game, we would pray, God, lead us to victory. (laughs) Now I'm like, how silly is that? (laughs) One, God doesn't care who wins this game right? Because it's a game. And two, God loves them just as much as God loves me, <laughs> right? Like they're praying the same thing over there in that other locker room. <laughs> God's not gonna pick sides. God's not like wearing a certain color of blue. <laughs> All the state fans erupt in, in clapping, right? Right? That was just you state fans, I know, I know. <laughs> but God's not on a side. But then like it gets compounded. Like it's funny when we talk about sports, right? But what if we talk about real life and war, where real life is at stake. And we go to war thinking that God is on our side. But the thing that we must remember is that God is not on anyone's side. God is God loves my enemy as much as God loves me. God loves my enemy as much as God loves my children. And God wants all of us to flourish and thrive. God wants to help us all out of this toxic soil of division and and in-and-out thinking and blessed and cursed thinking, God says, I cause it to rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. I cause the sun to shine on those who come to church and those who don't. Because God is fundamentally a God of love. Not a God of anger, not a God of wrath, but a God of love. And the only thing that love can do is to pour out more love and to seek someone's flourishing. So when someone says to me, well, I want to love the sinner but hate the sin, I say, okay, then you tell me what you're doing to seek their flourishing in life. Then I may believe you. Until that, if it's just a statement, then keep it to yourself. Because it's not true. If you love somebody you're going to seek their blessing. You're going to seek their flourishing. And if they have a system set up around them that is attacking them, you're going to say, whoa, wait a minute, no, 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 this can't happen. I have to work to help because you would do that for your kids, wouldn't you? You love your children and you would work to to help your kids flourish and thrive, and you would work to eliminate any systematic oppression or injustice that is coming against your life. You would work to do that. And so, if we claim to have love, then that's what we should do for other people. But I think sometimes we, we have this like sentimental idea of love, of like, you know, oh, I just love them. You know that kind of love? <laughs> that we say, I just love them. They're so good. And that, that's fine. I think that's, 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 that's a sort of love, but that's not the love that the Bible's talking about. The love that the Bible is talking about is to work for everyone's good, everyone's blessing, everyone's thriving, everyone's flourishing, everyone's equality. That's the sort of love. It's hard and it's messy and you're going to get attacked from all sides and, and it, it's, you're going to have to trudge in the swamp of this life and you're going to have to face your own, the way that you've, you've become complicit with the system of oppression. Like We're going to have to do all that and we'd rather not right? because it's hard. So we make up slogans to keep ourselves out of that. But the, the what the Bible's talking about, let's set up a system that everyone can flourish. Where we don't see the division. We don't see the things that separate us. We see the things that unite us. The blessing that each other is. The values that, you know what? If we dig deep enough, we're going to find the very same values about our life. That we all want to be accepted. That we all want to be loved. All of us will find that value at the core of our humanity. It is expressed in different ways. But if you vote this way, and you vote this way, and you, you believe that, and you believe this, fundamentally, if we, could, if we could excavate it deep enough, we would find that we're both the same people at the core, that we just want to be loved and accepted, embraced, and to flourish. But Jesus here is talking to the Pharisees who were, who, who were splitting up everybody, who thought that God was on their side and God was not on the other people's side, who thought that, like, well, if, if suffering happened over there, then that, 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 that means that they weren't blessed. And, and, and so, so Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 that's a toxic way of thinking that's going to get you killed. Please change it. Please change it. Repent. And then he tells this curious story about a fig tree. And a fig tree always represents Israel in the stories. And it has no fruit. Jesus says, there's this vineyard, this, this fruit tree, and, <clears throat> and it has no fruit on it. You know why it has no fruit? Because it doesn't have any nutrients in the soil. I'm trying to learn about fruit trees. and So I dump compost on my fruit trees and other things to try to get them to bear fruit because I only had three apples last year and it was kind of depressing. And <clears throat> I thought, maybe this year would be better. And it needs more nutrients down there. And so this soil that we're in, this in-out world, it has no nutrients. But Jesus here is saying... Don't cut it down. Yeah, it's worth being cut down, but don't cut it down. Give me one more year. Jesus is on the way to the cross. Jesus is on the way to unlock and unleash a whole new thinking on the world, a way of resurrection, a way of love, a way of grace, a way of saying this redemption, this redemptive process is for everybody. Everyone's included. Everyone's in. The myths that we thought are going to be destroyed. And what Jesus is doing in this work is cultivating the soil, giving a new sort of soil that we can put ourselves into and raise up and bear fruit of love and grace and mercy and peace and life. Give me one year, Jesus says. One year. I feel like this is a message to the church today. Like, maybe it's a message to, maybe because we're Methodists we feel that right now and like this is a message to to us as a Methodist church, I feel, like, I feel like God, Like God, give us one year. <laughs> give us a year. Cultivate our soil. Help us, help us to, to have new nutrients where we don't see each other as a threat, where we don't see each other as out and in, but we see us all as God's beloved, and let's work together to ensure that every person can be accepted and embraced and loved and be called the beloved of God everywhere, but especially in here, Give us one year, God. Today, I think this is a message for the church, but I also think it's a message to all of us in this season of Lent. It's a message for us to question, what have we been believing about God? Have we been believing in this God of anger and wrath and and judgment that is dividing us from other humans, that is helping us to see other people as a threat? That's That's a soil that has no nutrients in it. And if we are planted there, we will not bear the fruit of love, of grace and mercy. And so today, I think, for us, the invitation is, Jesus, come and cultivate my soil. Come and let your love go deep in the compost of your grace and be put upon our roots so that we can see all people as you see all people as beloved. Today, no matter what you have heard, you are God's beloved. No matter what narrative you have heard out there or maybe in other churches, I want you to hear this. You are included in God's work of redemption. You are beloved of God. You are God's child. You are beautiful and perfect and lovely and and God loves you just as much as God loves anyone else in the world. Church, church, let that be our mantra. I know I talk about it a lot, but I think, I think we need to talk about it a lot because like I'm out in the world seven days a week and we are all too. And it's like, oh my gosh, out there, it's crazy. It's like wolves and, and, and lions. And it's like a jungle of hatred and division. And so let's come in here and let our roots soak up that good nutrients of Jesus's work of redemption, of Jesus's work of life. And let us be committed to this idea of loving our neighbor means means we we cannot love our neighbor while supporting or accepting systems that crush, exploit, and dehumanize them. Church, let's love our neighbors. Let's do the good work of love, the hard work of love. Let's show up. Let's embrace. Let's include so that we, when people look at us, they can be like, wow, those people must love Jesus. Yes today where are you in this story what what where are your roots where are your roots grounded let us ground ourselves in the grace of christ so that we can grow and bear good fruit this Lent. let's let's pray as we prepare our hearts for communion lord god of heaven and earth God, help us to plant our roots in your grace and your love and your mercy and your hope. Lord, if our root system is in some sort of ground that is toxic and killing us, Lord, help us to change our thinking. Help us to invite you in to put good roots, good soil, good compost of your love into that. Lord, we pray for our neighbors this morning. We pray for those who have suffered at the hands of humanity. Those who have suffered violence in word or deed. Those who have suffered exclusion. Those who have been told that they're not good enough. Those who have told that they're broken or something is wrong. Those that have been told that you don't love them. Lord, I pray that you would destroy all these myths today. That you would remind us all that we are your beloved that we are your loved, that we are included in part of what you're doing in the world. God, help us to soak up that love in our roots. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.